Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Think Tank, conversations in a digital world with new perspectives from SAP strategic partners on business, IT, and innovation, and that's what you all want to know, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and let's check the headlines. This is going to be an interesting topic that impacts every one of you right now around the world. So, this is a press release from January 28th, 2020. I call this pre-pandemic. We weren't really aware of it yet. So, here's a quote from healthtechmagazine.com. It's all about the data in 2020 and beyond. What healthcare organizations need to know to prepare for a modern data experience. There's no question that healthcare is amassing data at an unprecedented rate. And as the industry moves into 2020 and beyond, it will only continue to do so. So that was before we all knew what was happening. Now let's go to a press release from beckerhospitalreview.com dated April 14th, 2020. I call this early pandemic, because we were all starting to get very much aware of it in March. So the quote is, health systems across the U.S. are working with their vendor partners, as well as local and regional agencies for capacity planning and response management. The critical component is access to data. Let that sink in. Now let's fast forward to today. It's early August 2020. I call this full-on pandemic. And here's what we're going to be talking about today. No industry has been impacted more in recent months than healthcare, where providers have had to adjust on the fly to the uncertain demands of a highly contagious virus on critical care beds, people resources, and new treatment protocols tested in a real-time clinical trial. Agility and speed in data capture and analysis became a crucial need for healthcare executives in command centers around the world to manage what we call COVID-19 or the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic. Organizations like Parkland Health and Hospital System in Dallas, Texas, partnered with IT vendors to extend their intelligent platform to meet enterprise-wide needs for real-time critical care capacity. Let's just put this on the line. The needs are urgent. The timescales are challenging. The top of mind question is, how can IT vendors and healthcare organizations work together for the greater good? Yes, we have three experts on this topic joining me today. I'm so happy in a moment to introduce you to Amy Dosher at Intel Business, Karthik Vishwa at Fusion Consulting, and Walt Ellenberger at SAP. We're going to ask them for their insights on healthcare and IT, managing a pandemic on the front line. Welcome to my panelists. I have the privilege of seeing them here on Zoom. We're all in the Zoom room. I like the way that sounds. And I see their smiles and they're ready to go. So, Amy Dosher, please introduce yourself briefly. Tell us what you do and what's your passion? What's your What energizes you about this topic? Amy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I am currently the uh, partner sales account manager for the U.S. sales partnership between Intel and SAP. And so uh, we do a lot around healthcare technology innovation together. And what really excites me about this topic is you know, I found a passion in healthcare um, shortly after leaving college. I worked for a Mercy Health System in the West for about five years in IT. 
And what I really love about this uh, sort of culture is that people who work in healthcare are drawn to helping others. And it's very heart-centered, purposeful work. And so to be able to continue on that path, um, even for a fraction of what I do in totality, has been so wonderful. And, um, you know, especially during this crisis, to be able to bring IT solutions to healthcare to help them combat COVID is um, just a wonderful opportunity, and, and I'm enjoying myself. Thank you very much, Amy. Pleasure to meet you, and let's go one seat around our virtual roundtable here, Karthik Vishwa at Fusion Consulting. Karthik, welcome, and please introduce yourself, and what's your take on the topic? Go ahead. Thanks, Lonnie. Uh, appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, my name is Karthik Vishwa uh, with Fusion Consulting. I am the CEO and principal of Fusion. Uh, we are focused consulting from we service North America. So I, in my role, I'm, I expect, I'm expected to provide the vision and the leadership to empower and deliver analytics and provide health informatics, which kind of helps organizations and people get the right kind of data, uh, translated good information for action. So uh, we have been doing this since 2009. This has been our core focus. And healthcare data uh, collection has been improving since 2012. I want to say somewhere around the vicinity. Uh, the data collection was improving, but we have not been able to translate it into good. So as somebody who has built a career around data and informatics in the past, so my passion has been always trying to get this packaged up pretty easily into good consumable bites of information, right? So uh, as part of that, I wanted to do medicine. But like this is the closest I've come to, right? So this is the closest I've been able to come to to practicing medicine, which is to help the people who do practice medicine uh, get the right kind of information as quickly as possible, as uh, efficiently as possible. Uh, coming in as an immigrant into the country, like all of us, we have all had like one or two near and dear ones uh, go through some of these interesting times, right? So. Uh, Having this ability and working with the team, uh, which we built around Dr. McLaughlin, who's our uh, chief architect. So what we did was built a unique team, which is not about just uh, uh, data and analytics. It's about we have clinicians and physicians on our team so that it's not about just delivering uh, information or data. It's about delivering the right information to help clinical quality improve, right? So with this COVID situation, uh, what we were able to do within the first three to four weeks of COVID hitting uh, by first week of April, we were able to get something to some of our customers pretty quickly to start the testing process. So it has been interesting. And uh, as a team, uh, we also have now a, a, a peer-reviewed paper around all of these pieces. So we have like about 18 to our credit. So our team has been awesome. So I'm only as good as my team. So, uh, uh, credit to the team for us to be able to be here. Thank you and appreciate you having me on the show today. Thank you, Karthik. Wonderful introduction and bravo to you when you were there before you know that the world needed you. You knew the world needed you, but not at that level. And, and here you are. So thank you. And, and it's really all about data. It's just sitting there doing something, doing nothing, getting the right data to the right people at the right time in the right format so they can take action. And it's more critical today than ever. So thank you for what you do. And patiently waiting around the table is Walt Ellenberger at SAP. Walt, we'd love to hear from you. What do you do? What's your background? And what's your take? 
take on this topic. Welcome, Walt. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. I appreciate that. And just kind of uh, playing off of Karthik, probably had this similar experience. What prevented me from being a doctor was that uh, organic chemistry class, I think, in, uh, in college. So um, I'm, I'm sure you could appreciate that. But uh, uh, my name is Walt Dillenberger. I head up uh, business development strategic alliances for all the healthcare interests within regulated industries, uh, SAP. Uh, nine years at SAP, uh, 35 years in the healthcare space, uh, operation systems, uh, early stage startup companies. I have my uh, master's degree in health administration and had the pleasure of starting my career as an administrator at uh, George Washington Medical Center in, in D.C. Passion-wise, you know, my, my whole career has been in healthcare and and like my colleagues, uh, it, it's a pleasure to uh, leverage technology in a meaningful way that you can actually see. You can actually see the impact it's having on people's lives uh, individually at scale. I think COVID is a perfect example of uh, how important healthcare is. Uh, now everybody's in healthcare, and uh, the ability to leverage technology to uh, to make a huge difference is is very rewarding personally. Thank you, Walt. Pleasure to have you here and pleasure to have him impressed with the credentials and the passion of all of our panelists. So thank you. And a shout out to Brad Bork and, and his team at SAP for putting together this wonderful threesome on the panel today. Thank you, Brad. Now is the part of the show where I have asked my panelists in advance to send me a quote that has absolutely nothing to do with the topic from a book, a movie, a song, a person famous, not so famous. And let's see what they why they picked what they did. And in their own words, what's the big deal about these quotes relating to our topic? So Amy Dozier has picked a quote from the King. Now people are probably saying, which King is she talking about? It's gotta be Elvis. I come from that era. Come on. Elvis Aaron Presley, 1935 to 1977, known as Elvis, American singer and actor regarded as one of the most significant cultural icons of the 20th century and called the King of rock and roll, deservedly so in the King. Uh, he energized interpretations of songs and he was quite provocative and controversial when he started because of those hips that were rolling and he was on TV and people were saying, hide the children. This is not for an all a family audience. Uh, his success epitomized the American dream and he has so many awards. I can't even count them. So let's go to the quote Amy has picked. This is a good one, Amy. When things go wrong, don't go with them. Amy Dosher, how'd you find this one? And what is it? How does it apply to our topic? I got to hear this. Go ahead. Well, you know, I really wanted to find something that had uh, meaning for me. And so I was just out there doing research. And who doesn't love Elvis, of course. So um, this one just resonated with me. I think it's so easy during these times like COVID to uh, just let let that um, negativity or let you know what's happening in the world bring you down, and it's so important to have a beacon of light that is your um, you know your mantra that keeps you on the on the straight and steady through these times. And so this one really resonated for that reason with me. And uh, I hope that we can all remember during these times to just keep the, the most important things um, in mind and uh, do what we can to give back to others, uh, however we have gifts to do so. 
Thank you very much. Amy, I was looking for the lyrics to that in a song somewhere, and it was actually in the most popular words of wisdom takeaways from Elvis. I didn't know he had those. Uh, so I was very intrigued with that. I, I think posthumously we need to come up with a song. Since we know Elvis has not quite left the building and never will, somebody needs to come up with a song with that title if things go wrong, don't go with them. I love it. Thank you, Amy. Car- it sounds like a country song, right? It does. It, <laughs> it absolutely does. I think the four of us will have to get together with uh, with one with Garage Band, and we'll. I'm a drummer. We just need a couple of singers and a guitar. We'll play a track. We'll come up with something. Thank Perfect. you very much. I appreciate it. Karthik has sent us a quote from Ram Emanuel. Uh, this was apparently said by him. I know several people have taken credit for the statement, but I like your attribution, Karthik. At the time, he was. Chief of Staff to President Barack Obama. Ram Israel Emanuel, born in 1959, is an American politician. He was the 55th mayor of Chicago from 2011 to 2019, a member of the Democratic Party. He had previously served as the 23rd White House Chief of Staff from 2009 to 2010, and as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Chicago between 2003 and 2009. And I have to tell, I was discussing this before the show with my guests. He won a scholarship to perform with the Joffrey a study and perform Joffrey Ballet, but he turned it down to attend Sarah Lawrence College, a liberal arts school with a strong, strong dance program. And I attended Sarah Lawrence, but I, I think he's a little younger than me, so I didn't see him there. We'll leave that alone. Here's the quote. You never want a serious crisis to go to waste. It provides the opportunity to do things that were not possible to do before. Interesting. Karthik, how'd you find this? Go ahead. So this uh, this is an interesting one. So it's always... Uh, interests me uh, since 2010, the attribution came out and I thought, time to do, when is the best time to do, right? We as people, uh, what I've noticed is uh, that the transformation from our side requires a compelling event, right? So even though when there is, when things are good, it's probably the right time to make the transformation, but we have always been in such a way that there is a compelling event which kind of makes it easier for everybody to absorb it, right? A good example is something like 9-11 forced us to do security checks a lot more detailed than it is, and it's still here to stay, right? So initially, it wouldn't have flown if not for the compelling event kind of a, a situation. So wh- why and how this is relevant to today, as I understand, or I, in my opinion, is uh, the pandemic has happened, right? Up until now... Everybody was saying, hey, this could happen. And then because it didn't happen, not the required precautions were taken, right? So we as individuals here are looking for some kind of a momentum to move the chains a little bit, right? So uh, when we have this interesting situation with COVID, my opinion was the required amount of data and information was being captured in some kind of a format. It's just that they were not utilizing it to really make actionable work and at the speed that we wanted, right? So this uh, uh, actionable information uh, being available and how are you going to make people change and do the work which is required to help support it? So at this point in time, uh, I, I just think People are all collaborating. A lot of people are coming together. They want to get this one done a lot faster. I think the time is now. And uh, what we don't want to do is to raise this opportunity and have this be revisited again in the future is kind of what I was thinking, uh, why I picked this quote. 
Thank you very much, Karthik. What's interesting to me is you don't want a serious crisis to go to waste. Think of all the businesses that are not part of the healthcare ecosystem. Think of the distilleries. Think of the bars. Think of anybody who was making bourbon and other, other whiskey who became the producers of hand sanitizer. A lot of them did it for free just to keep keep the distillery going, just to keep a couple of people employed or working or in the building, in the business when it was safe. Think of the companies that have gone out and produced PPEs that weren't part. In other words, it's almost everybody says every every company is a, is a data company now. Mm-hmm. Every company is a technology company. Well, in a way, most companies now are in the healthcare business, aren't they? So the ecosystem has expanded because of the crisis. Mm-hmm. Necessity is the mommy of invention. I like to say that. So that's, that's my version of it. Thank you, Karthik. Wonderful choice of a quote. And Walt is waiting because he picked somebody also who is in the music business. Walt picked a quote from Bob Dylan. If I said his full name, I don't think anybody know who it is, Walt, except you and me. Robert Allen Zimmerman, born in 1941. I call him a kid. Well, he's older than me, but he's still a kid. American singer, songwriter, author, visual artist who's been a major figure in popular culture for more than 50 years. His most celebrated works actually go back to the 1960s with the songs Blowing in the Wind, 63 in the Times, They Are a-Changin'. These became anthems for the civil rights and anti-war movements. He has published, I don't know if a lot of people know this, Walt, since 1994, Bob Dylan has published eight books of drawings and paintings. He has exhibited in major art galleries. He sold more than 100 million records. I think they still call it records, although (laughs) it's CDs, it's whatever it is. Who uses vinyl anymore? I still have some. Making him one of the best-selling musical artists of all time. He's won the Presidential Medal of Freedom, 10 Grammys, a Golden Globe, and Academy Award. So here's the quote from Bob Dylan. And I know the song it comes from because that's the last part of the quote. You better start swimming or sink like a stone because the times, they are a change. And I always promised not to sing, but I couldn't help myself. Walt, how'd you find this one? I love it. Well, it's a, it's a classic, as you can yep. relate to. And, uh, you know, Dylan often, oftentimes comes up with very profound lyrics that uh, are relevant to topics today. And, and, of course, this one just simply feels like we're, we're swimming in the sea of uncertainty. I think the the key point is that we're swimming. We're not sinking like stones, but, um, you know, between COVID and civil unrest and throwing a couple tropical storms, and it just seems like uh, we're in this era of big change. And I thought this topic, this particular lyric, just kind of fit the, uh, the tone of this discussion. So that was the reason I picked it. Thank you very much, Walt. I, I send my kudos to all of our panelists. You all picked wonderful quotes. We, that's why we love the quotes. It tells us a little about your, per, about your personality and your cultural tastes, and it also helps the audience get to know you a little better. Now we're going to buckle down for serious stuff. Amy Dozier, I think we'll start with statement number one on your list. This is where, in case you're new to the show, I've asked my panelists in advance to send me four statements that are possible starting points for a roundtable discussion. I'll pick one from each of you, and we will We'll spend about two minutes each. Amy will spend about two, two and a half minutes because this is her topic. And then I will go to Karthik and ask him to agree or disagree. And even if you agree, add something to it. This is thought leadership. And then Walt will bring you in. And then I'll pick one from Karthik. We'll go around the table, same order. And then we'll pick one from Walt. So Amy Dosher told me, Amy, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. This is packed. You say, according to a Gallup poll, only 54% of healthcare employees feel well prepared to do their job. Even fewer, 37% feel very confident they'll be able to successfully do their job if the outbreak continues 
I'm going to add, oh my. Amy Dosher, tell us more, please. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at, I mean, across the board in medical care, you have um, technology gaps, you have device, uh, medical device gaps, uh, you have um, just gaps in resources, uh, personnel, gaps in beds. Um, we're seeing uh, the gaps everywhere and um, they've continued. And so we're asking these healthcare workers um, to do much more with uh, much less right now. And so as this goes on, I think um, the best thing that we can do in, in addition to finding ways of closing those gaps is uh, just provide um, whatever help we can, whether it's an ear, whether it's um, extra support services for these folks. Um, but we need to make sure that they have some hope out there. And um, of course, one way that um, Intel and SAP and others can help is on the technology front. But whether it's, you know, we've all got friends and uh, colleagues and neighbors who are working in healthcare that um, sometimes it's just be that ear, make sure that they feel heard and supported um, as we move through this. Thank you very much, Amy. Karthik, love to get you to join us. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Absolutely agree. So uh, this is one of those, uh, which is about people, right? So wanting to be able to help the people who are really at the forefront of uh, uh, handling this kind of a crisis, right? So in whatever capacity we could, if it is technology or if it isn't just any kind of a support, I completely agree that whatever we could do little to help them uh, support is going to go a long way and uh, Unfortunate that it took a crisis for us to recognize this, but uh, otherwise it is uh, absolutely essential. Thank you very much. Walt, join us, please. What do you think? Yeah, sure. Just piling on, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, um, I think healthcare workers in general are a pretty resilient group, but uh, this pathogen is a completely you know, big game changer. And the front line, especially the critical care areas, are under a tremendous amount of pressure. And whatever we can do to support them, I'm impressed by our collective companies, but just the support in general, especially with technology that pivoted on a dime and really dropped the, you know, we're here as a customer, we're here as a, a, a advocate, we will allow you to use our technology in whatever way that can improve your productivity, maybe, um, you know, using modeling techniques or outreach techniques that would uh, offset the uh, the initial issue, which was overwhelming the critical care capacity. So uh, resiliency is, is key. Uh, these are all humans. Uh, so our emotional support, I think, is uh, tremendous. And as a country, I think we've done a pretty good job of pivoting and, and helping the front line. I couldn't agree more. Thank you very much. Anybody want to add anything to Amy's statement? Karthik, looks like you have something else you want to say, please. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Thanks. I think uh, taking a cue from what, what Walt mentioned just now, right? So we have certainly clinicians on our staff, right? So it's pretty interesting that we are having to work in trying to get the clinicians the right kind of data. But given the situation, they were all in April of this year, right? Pretty much everybody had to, it's all hands on deck, right? So they wanted to make sure that, the required nurses and all of the uh, healthcare workers are available uh, 
if there be a need in various cities and some of our folks who are uh, clinicians pretty much have to go back and say, hey, I'm here if you need me, right? So we as an organization have to make certain calls, but we needed their help. But then it just had to happen the right way. So it just made sense for us to uh, contribute the way that we should do. Thank you very much. Amy, anything you want to add? This was your statement or can I move on? Go ahead, Amy. Sure. Uh, just to talk about Parkland Health uh, in particular, uh, which is one um, organization that the three companies on the line here have really helped to support. What we're seeing is a, um, you know, a pivot in all the healthcare uh, organizations. But Parkland, one thing that really, really struck me there is you're, you're having access to new data out there but it's what do you do with it? How do you leverage it in a way that's going to help your staff provide um, the best care that they can? And one stat that they'd shared early on, and I, it's probably changed now, but it's still, I, it's stuck with me, is you know they started to have these mobile test units um, and that data, being able to pull that data into their ER system um, was able to tell them more about who was coming into their ER. Um, so once the stat was of the people tested in a given day, 30% of those over 65 would end up in their ER five days later. So that one data point allowed them to better prepare uh, for the number of beds that they would need in that ER. So um, that is just one way that we're seeing this quick evolution and pivot to leverage data to help support these folks that are in the ER, on the front lines, um, needing every piece of data, every bit of help that they can to help us eventually, uh, any of the population that might end up there. Thank you, Amy. Good comments all around. And Amy, thank you for sparking such a good conversation thread around the table. I appreciate that. Uh, let's go to Karthik. Karthik, I'm looking at statement number two. Let's see what this says. You say, I feel, this is Karthik Vishwa's words to me before the show. He said, I feel electronic health record vendors' ability to limit innovation over the past 10 to 15 years played a major part in exacerbating this crisis. The question now has become, what have we done this time to avert the next crisis. That's a loaded statement. Karthik, I'm going to put you up on speaker view. Just as they say on the news, please unpack this for us. Go ahead, Karthik. Yeah. Uh, yes, you're right. Because we've been in this business for quite some time, right? So it's about 10 years we have been working with healthcare data. Uh, this is interesting. This goes back to me working uh, in large organizations, much like SAP and others in the past too. So where uh, we were transactional organizations who were very good at collecting the data, and we also started building out analytics and information which is required to take action, which is kind of what we're talking about as a core subject today, right? So having worked in these large enterprise uh, applications, the tendency to keep things closed and closer has been an issue, which means uh, everything rather come to me rather than me being interoperable, make it open for others to be able to take, right? So to, to, to control the speed and the agility in which they are able to take this information and give it out to uh, the public, which I think uh, was one of the key reasons if we were not able to get a clear handle on, hey, is this data something that we could immediately access? Is this something that's open and 
interoperable for everybody to be able to get so that we could collate this information, right? So when all of this information was not available, then uh, the standards were not clearly well-written across the table. So some standards were very specific. Certain EHR vendors who pretty much had a good amount of control over uh, uh, the data and their application, right? So to me, the uh, making it a little bit more open, keeping it interoperable, keeping this information available for innovators. We are under by no means illusion that we are the only people who do this work, right? So there are thousands of us who do this kind of work. It's just that having a, a clear framework in which all of us could innovate certainly gives us the framework to move the needle a lot faster and uh, to our credit. So since COVID started, there are certainly healthy coalitions which have been built under this partnership to help overcome some of these, but uh, it had to take a crisis to get it. The question, I think, to unpack. One of the pieces is, did we get here because of this? I wouldn't say it's all because of this, but I think mm-hmm. there is some aspect to it which we could attribute to it, this kind of one. Thank you. Very interesting. Very interesting. We love a little provocativeness and controversy here. Walt Ellenberger, please join us. Agree or disagree with any part of what Karthik just shared, and then we'll key up Amy after this. Walt, what do you yeah. think? Yeah. Well, you know, once again, just piling on what Karthik said, I it don't don't get me started about the special interest control of our healthcare industry. I think the you know the fact that we don't have a cohort of COVID patients that at scale we can look at to really look at treatment therapies and vaccinations is a direct result of special interest and lack of regulation that have mandated the ability to um, interoperate and share data. And once again, it's, it's impacting us in our ability to effectively understand what treatment therapies are going to get the biggest uh, bang for the buck, so to speak. And then what vaccines are going to work at scale? And I can guarantee you, you know, once we get through the smoke of COVID, uh, the government will have to mandate the, the rules and set up these, you know, national surveillance types of systems just to kind of get a better read on these pathogens as they pop up. There, there will be new pathogens. And, and the answer is we just can't s- shut down the world economy to, uh, to figure it out. So, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's a lot of our, our history in the, in the industry. Everybody talks about interoperability, but the private sector has been unable to, uh, to make it happen. And a, and a large part of it is just because of special interest groups. But, you know, once again, these, these times are changing and, you know, we, we have to have a better way coming out the back end of it. Thank you, Walt. Amy Dosher, please join us. Thoughts? Yes. Yeah, so to go back to the great quote that Karthik had uh, had teed up, um, you know, we are we are seeing um, an opportunity for uh, COVID to drive innovation. Period. Um, but um, where I think that innovation might go, and I'd be curious to see what Karthik and uh, and Walt think is. You know, one of the areas that we're, we're working in is this structured versus unstructured data. And to tie that to what Walt had just said about, um, the, you know, the, the policy and governmental um, 
politicking around all of this. If any of you followed all of the um, the, the Snowden, um, you know, uh, stuff, one of the key outcomes of that um, knowledge that was shared is the relevance of the metadata. And so I would say we could take all of those key learnings um, from 9-11 and what, what happened there and apply that now to this crisis in technology and healthcare. And as we move forward, perhaps one of the biggest areas of innovation will be around doing more with the unstructured data. Um, Kardik and Walt, I'd love to hear your thoughts there. We can do that. Let's go around. Uh, Kardik, you're sitting next to Amy. Why don't you chime in on what she just said? Structured, unstructured. Yeah, structured and unstructured. This is an interesting conversation we've always had, right? So in healthcare, uh, we have an opinion because we have tried this unstructured versus structured. So what we call the the discretion and discrete data. Uh, The discrete data capture is an interesting concept. The reason why is because if we are not able to streamline the process, there's not one treatment plan which will work the exact same way for that same disease, right? So because of the cohorts that you have, your information could change substantially and how you run your processes could change. So the question becomes, yes, from a technology standpoint, we can surely solve this unstructured or structured and we can bring blend them together. But the key thing is going to be how many doctors are willing to help unpack the unstructured data into a structured format to get it, right? So they all studied medicine to go help people, right? They didn't study medicine to go out and build a technology. And as much as we would love for them to come in and do that, but they think this is a sidecar. They do not think this is what they were meant to do in their life. So we tried this to uh, the unstructured piece. Absolutely. Technology-wise, we can easily solve this. But I think the people side of it, would we have the right kind of person resources to help unpack this, uh, that has been the challenge, but technology-wise, absolutely spot on. We would be able to do this. Uh, so to go back to the original question, structured or unstructured, structure tends to fare a lot better, and we get to define it. Unstructured is technically absolutely possible. Uh, that is a, it's a human challenge more than actually a technology challenge. Interesting. Walt, I see you nodding. Why don't you join us briefly here? What do you think? Structured yeah, or structured? Sure. The... Uh, you know, we kind of lovingly refer to it as as the dark data. I think once uh, the Affordable Care Act man- mandated that all healthcare systems go to a automated form of electronic health records, the original early adopters realized quickly that all they did was digitize information that will allow them to bill for services, and that there still was a, a wealth of information that were hidden in these clinical notes, which is really where all the details are that you need to understand as it relates to a drug, a device effectiveness, you know, adverse drug reactions, complications, all those indications are are typically hidden in that dark data set. Uh, Amy and I've had the pleasure of working with with Mercy, another uh, one of our customers, large integrated health system out of St. Louis. And early on, they, they realized that the real good stuff is in that dark data. And they leveraged natural language processing to literally shed light on over 900 million uh, clinical notes. And that's, that's allowed them to gain insight they've never had before, 
and drive out uh, operational costs associated with practice variation, with perioperative surgery, and things of that nature. And and now they're they're even leveraging it in a um, in a go to market partnership in providing that data as insights to drug and device companies that can't get to that level of detail through commercially available products through registries and claims based information. So the the unstructured is where the gold is, and technology can shed light on that. But until we have a unified approach to do that and extend a pretty big data set at Mercy, for example, uh, to include other integrated health systems and kind of look at a real world evidence approach to managing uh, drug and devices, we're, we're still a, a laggard in that space. So it, it's another passionate topic of ours, but technology can get us there. Oftentimes it's the, uh, it's the people that get in the way. Yep. <laughs> Touche. Thank you. Walt, I'm teeing you up next because we're at we're in your discussion statements now. I know there's one you're very passionate about. Let me read a little bit from number one. Uh, this will be another this or that question. I think I know where we're going. Walt says, you can't manage a real-time virus from the rear view mirror of traditional healthcare. The US healthcare industry is a system incented and designed to be reactive by treating illness and not preventing it. And I'm not going to read about Parkland. Uh, why don't you give us your case study? So, Walt, please expand this, unpack it a little bit. We have time to get uh, Amy and Karthik in to, for their comments. So go ahead, Walt. Yeah, very good. Yeah, w- once again, it's it's amazing what a little pathogen can do in terms of pivoting an industry that's been, uh, you know, step, steep in tradition that's, that has predominantly been re- reactionary. Um, Amy mentioned Parkland Health and Hospital System, Dallas, Texas, very reputable public health system or public safety net hospital. They they have the largest ER volumes in the country, and that was even before uh, COVID hit. When they were faced with COVID and the fact that they could easily be overwhelmed by the number of cases and the supply of critical care resources they had in beds and, and, and people, they quickly pivoted, once again, in, in partnership with, with us in using technology to outreach to the public. And it was in a form of a, a simple symptom tech or online capability tools that would allow the public to answer survey information. And then behind the scenes, uh, Parkland could screen, pre-screen, what was a legitimate uh, case, you know, early indication that they did have COVID and then route those resources, those people to the right um, delivery channel. So they, it was a very effective way to prevent the ERs from being overwhelmed by reaching out to the, uh, to the public. That pulse became uh, a, a very important touch point and understanding not only the sentiment, but what issues the public would be facing next. And as you can imagine, it, it moved on to be more of a contact tracing capability and also a mechanism to help not only with ongoing education, but to help um, the public health system and even the private sector with you know, back to work initiatives. So Parkland overnight realized that they went to from a reactive mode to a proactive mode. 
they now have a, an active pulse, if you will, that's technology enabled to really think about how do I keep people out of our organization and how do I do that in a more proactive versus reactive fashion. So it's a great example of how quickly the industry could change leveraging technology if it had to be. And it's, I always find it, you know, ironic that these are discussions everybody's talked about. There's never, never seems to be anything revolutionary in healthcare. It always seems to be evolutionary until, uh, you know, a crazy little pathogen comes along. And, and uh, Bonnie, to your point, the mother of necessity, those changes happen overnight. So I, uh, you know, Parkland, I thought was just a great story of how they pivoted quickly with, with good partners. Thank you, Walt. Great case study. Let's go around the table. Amy, please join us. What do you think? Just couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, Parkland is a great example of a healthcare system that I would say, you know, just to tie it back to what I'd originally said, these healthcare workers are simply passionate about making sure that they provide the best service, the best uh, results for their patients. And um, that passion bleeds into IT as well at the healthcare facilities. And so any we've seen them, you know, really think outside the box and do everything that they can do to provide the data that then um, helps them um, heal patients, um, provide the best services to patients, etc. Thank you. Karthik, want to hear what you have to say? Please yeah. join us. Uh, certainly, I agree. Uh, to just add on to what Amy and uh, Walt were just saying, uh, one of the pieces which is important is the capacity, right? It all comes down to how much capacity can I hold in the ER or how much capacity can I hold through the hospital? How much can I really handle along the way, right? So having this proactive way to get in front of it and ahead of it and having this information be made available in advance kind of helps plan this along. So which goes back to the other things that uh, I think Amy brought up about the people, right? How stressed would the people side of it with the nursing and the staff around them, right? How are those levers going to work in the ED? What's going to be the capacity which is going to go through to the next unit when they are able to move to the uh, pulmonology, wherever the next unit they are supposed to go to? So it's imperative that you catch this early and then move this chain along to have the capacity be managed through the organization a lot better. And Parkland, to full credit to them, they were able to take this and uh, put this in the uh, right context well in time for them to be able to handle this pandemic. I hope somebody tells Parkland that they are our use case featured on today's show because so many wonderful things seem to have come out of how they're doing, how they're handling their business. And uh, I'm sure they'd be honored to know that you're all extolling the the way they're handling everything. So thank you for that. I think we're going to move to our predictions round. And, and if our listeners are new to this format, the last part of the show is I'm going to ask each of my panelists, I'm going to give them 60 seconds, but it won't be a strict 60 seconds. If you go a little over, it's fine. So we're looking for brilliant predictions, no pressure 
to the panel. We're looking for brilliant predictions on what do you think will change? We're in a minute-by-minute, minute, well, reactive, proactive. We're, we're here in the trenches. We're all in this together, right? And that's what they say in my supermarket. It's wear your mask, follow the arrows on the aisles. We're all in this together. I hear that every Sunday when I go to my grocery shopping. So we're all in this together. And what do you predict? And I'm going to give you some flexibility on the term of your prediction. So Amy will be first, then Karthik, and then Walt. And so you can go to the end of 2020. You could predict what's going to happen next week. You could predict what's going to happen by Labor Day, or you might be daring and go out to the end of 2021 if you can see that far. So this is the crystal ball predictions round. Amy Dosher, I hand it over to you, 60 seconds, and you can have a little longer. Go ahead, Amy. Now. My prediction is that we are going to see the biggest um, changes or drivers of innovation in healthcare and uh, in particularly in healthcare technologies available. And I'll just go back to the thread in this conversation around um, the, the data fields that are capturable today in EMRs versus the, the data in the notes that um, might provide insight into the, the driving of evolution and innovation around what do we need to capture in the future in EMR systems and how does that drive new players in the market um, around those systems. So that's where my prediction, I would say in the next two years, you're going to see new players particularly in the EMR space, but um, you will see new technologies and software products available in healthcare. Thank you, Amy. Like that prediction a lot. Karthik Vishwa, join us. What do you see? Uh, my prediction uh, is it's around the wellness, right? So I think people are going to focus a lot more on wellness over the next couple of years. So until now, it's been reactive. Uh, like I think, uh, Walt mentioned earlier that uh, uh, special interest groups for the hospital and the hospital systems, that how quickly we are going to break that barrier, I don't know. But people are now getting comfortable with telemedicine. People are now getting comfortable with wellness. People are now getting comfortable with having access to care, which could be affordable at this point in time with the kinds of technology those are coming in. From that standpoint, access to medicine is probably going to get a lot better an adoption to these new accesses to medicine. Uh, I don't see myself going to a doctor unless I really have to moving forward, right? So even if everything gets out within the next few, so those things are going to happen, but I'm not sure how much of uh, interoperability predictions would be broken down uh, unless uh, special interests are not allowed to take uh, uh, over this segment. Thank you very much. Walt Ellenberger, we saved the last crystal ball prediction for you. What do you see? Very good. And I will I'll try to behave myself, but I kind of have a multifaceted uh, prediction here. And it's kind of segueing on, on Karthik's point. Uh, I think virtual care is here to stay. Um, it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. Telemedicine has been around for, for a while. The technology is there, but special interests have always restricted its access uh, through government mandates and, uh, and reimbursement. But with, uh, once again, our friend, the pathogen showing up the door, the industry had to pivot. There was, there was no other option in order to send people home and treat them. Uh, government stepped in, dropped the restrictions, and now it's going to be a new norm of healthcare. Uh, the convenience, the safety, and the fact that the, uh, the cat was left out of the bag in terms of consumers having 
direct impact and control, which I think is going to be another big part of the prediction moving forward, is going to be a real thing. I think special interests are going to kind of wane with the power of the people, so to speak. Um, I think the other big prediction is that this notion of real world evidence at scale and having um, a population surveillance system that can be done in real time is going to be government mandated simply because we can't shut down the economy to, to react in the way we're doing right now. And I think in general, uh, providers are going to wake up the fact that uh, technology can enable their intelligence uh, in a magnitude that will shift them from a reactive way of doing business to a proactive way of doing business. It will save cost. It will make them more efficient, more effective. And there's going to be a huge shift from trying to be everything to everybody to just focusing on their core competency. So I think technology is going to play a big role in redefining the intelligence through AI and machine learning and things like that in the uh, in the provider health system space. So that that was uh, that was a quickie. Hopefully, I got in the sixty minutes, the sixty seconds. <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. We love these predictions. I want to thank our extraordinary panelists, Amy Dosher at Intel Business, Karthik Vishwa at Fusion Consulting, Walt Ellenberger. The third, I didn't say it in the beginning, at SAP. And I have to do a shout out to our wonderful sponsor team, Brad Borkin, who is lurking in the background here uh, with his camera muted on, on Zoom. Thank you, Brad, for putting this together. Susan Walker at SAP, also sponsoring Angela Harvey for all of her work at SAP. Thank you to our engineer, Matt, at Voice America, the business channel. And I'll just say to our listeners, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, signing off here for another episode of Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World with new perspectives from SAP Strategic Partners on Business, IT, and Innovation, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft Intel. Everybody stay safe, stay smart, be savvy, and if appropriate, cover up. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank, Conversations in a Digital World presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP Radio. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel next time.